podcast listeners, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Uh, this is Mary Peterson. I serve as the housing facilitator for the National Maternity Housing Coalition and the housing specialist for Heartbeat and have the joy of introducing topics kind of related to the housing world, but that have implications for the general pregnancy help world as well. Today, we are going to talk about host homes. We'll get into even what a host home is, but I'm joined by two wonderful gentlemen, housing leaders across the country. So Stephen Wallace from Gabriel Network and Mark McDougall from Ruth Harbor are with me. Uh, Gentlemen, would you introduce yourselves just briefly? Sure, sure. You go first, Mark. Okay. Uh, Mark McDougall from Ruth Harbor Ministries in Des Moines, Iowa. We uh, have a maternity home. uh, We've been in operation for about 20 years. Uh, We had a basic uh, maternity home for women up through the time of the birth of their child. Uh, We are a unique ministry in that we serve both minors and majority age. And uh, in the last four or five years, I've added a mother-child program uh, with the idea that unplanned pregnancy often lasts more than nine months. So we're now serving young women with children. And uh, in the last year, we've had the privilege of uh, acquiring a second home and now can divide that programming into the two different locations, uh, really focusing in on their specific needs. And occasionally, we use host homes. So I think that's why I'm going to join in and look forward to talking about that. And I am Stephen Wallace. I'm the executive director of Gabriel Network, serving women and families in Maryland and D.C. through church-based volunteers. And also we have two maternity homes looking to open a third soon. We had a number of host homes in our history and have uh, tried it in the somewhat recent past. So we're looking forward to uh, this discussion today with you, Mary. Awesome. So just from a, for our listeners' standpoint, a while ago, the National Maternity Housing Coalition put together a white paper on this topic. We essentially, we assembled thoughts from a bunch of different folks to try and make some kind of generalizations and recommendations um, based on our experiences of host homes. So we're drawing a bit from that white paper, and then we're going to add our own thoughts and experiences to make the white paper also come to life. So maybe we just need to start with kind of just basic bare-bone concept. What are we talking about here when we're talking about host homes, shepherding homes, support homes, kind of this whole concept? Mark, could you just kind of introduce the very uh, most basic level what, what we're talking about? Sure. Over history and even into today, there are often opportunities for someone to show hospitality, care, support, housing in particular for a young lady who is experiencing a pregnancy, maybe even uh, after the child is born. And people have, uh, out of their own hospitality, out of their own uh, desire to serve, to express their pro-lifeness in more than idea, but to be on the ground, grassroots response, have uh, said, hey, I can I can house that person or I, I would be open to doing that. And so um, years ago, I think many people referred to this as shepherding homes, uh, a home that would do just that, take in a young lady. They had an extra room. They had a basement uh, bedroom and, and bathroom. They had a mother-in-law apartment, all these different things. Referring to them as shepherding homes just out of, of Jesus' example of what shepherding means, and it really makes a lot of sense to those of us who follow Jesus. But to a 17-year-old, a shepherding home might seem like an odd thing, and so I think uh, the use today of the word host homes helps those 17-year-olds maybe to understand what this might be, or a 19- or 20-year-old, more related to uh, an exchange student. A host home is just a, a bridge, a period of time where someone can live and have some personal privacy, but they may not be adopted in as part of the family. So I will say that we did have one of our host homes who uh, had a young lady that uh, there was just a good mesh, 
and she stayed for over two and a half years. So it can go well. Well, definitely. Maybe just to put that a little bit of the context of the housing world in general. So maternity homes, you know, have existed for a long time. Our long-term history was strongly adoption-focused. You know, women went away. There was kind of a strongly sense of being very adoption-focused. As abortion law and adoption law started changing, we saw host homes pop up. As abortion was becoming legal, as adoption was um, having some more flexibility around it, and the laws were becoming a little bit more pro the birth mother. We saw we saw all sorts of host home situations pop. A lot of pro-lifers opened their homes. A lot of our pregnancy health leaders actually started by welcoming women into their homes. Mm-hmm. The next phase, though, was really as we started to see women's situations grow more complicated, maybe the need to recognize, oh, the addictions, the violence, the abuse, the situations of the birth fathers, kind of all these dynamics that were related to her situation, we saw host homes kind of decline in this idea of a group living situation um, increase. And that's a lot of our homes now have that kind of model where women are living, you know, in the same, under the same roof in a group living situation, sharing a life in common. There's a bunch of different staffing models that might come along with that. But the most common situation now is really this group living situation. That being said, we we do see host homes continue to exist. So it's, it's a model that we hear about. I get a lot of calls about to, to understand better. Um, so really our hope for uh, the white paper and our hope for this conversation is to kind of explore what that looks like. From that, there's a, several different viewpoints to consider. Stephen, you want to kind of walk us through maybe the different ways that we could look at this issue of the vantage points for thinking about host homes? Sure. So there's a few people involved in doing this, and each one, whether you're talking about the the mother and her child or, or other children, the organization that may be involved in uh, either providing the homes as a service or being abridged to families, so between the mother and, and the family connecting them, and then the the homes, the host homes themselves, the family or the husband and wife that are going to be providing the host housing. Each one of those people or units or organizations have a set of perspectives that need to be considered and respected with some foresight to do this successfully. Maybe we'll start with the mom's viewpoint. The white paper actually doesn't contain a whole lot of information about the mom's perspectives, but um, we just realized maybe talking that there's maybe some things to consider. So as she's looking at the possibility of moving into a host home environment, what are maybe some of the things that happened in her own thinking. Mark, you said you had some recent experience on this that that might be insightful. One of the things that I think that can happen is a a young mom sees that she does not have any or very many choices. And in the case of our particular home, we might have a waiting list or uh, maybe her circumstances set her just outside of our parameters, either by age, age of her children or number of children. And so a host home opportunity that pops up looks like, oh my goodness, a place to land, a place to call home, a place to go, you know, to either get off the street or get out of my situation. So they are vulnerable and we must be adults in the situation and look at the and look at what where they're headed because they're going to grab for this they're going to go for it because it's a matter of survival it's a matter of the next step they may even be manipulative in the information they give us in order to get in and get going so we have to watch for that they're going to really want to get in there the more reasoned 
young lady who is looking for a host home and is thinking things through may see some other concerns. Uh, the ones that we have run into that we have found to really carry weight and, and to be something to, to wrestle with is that they may see that when they go into this home, the home is wanting to be of help to them beyond the help they want. So they may get more demands for structure. Uh, they may get more advice than they were asking for, more mothering. We want to be involved in your life. We want to really help you. And they're out of pure motives, but the mom was looking for a place to stay and nothing more. So expectations and defining them on the way in are so, so important. They may um, say to themselves, you know, now that I hear what the host home has in mind, I'm not going to be able to maintain my social calendar. I, I'm not going to feel at home here. The idea that uh, maybe they can't bring other people into the home that they're supposed to report in or to keep the host home abreast of their activities and plans. It just may be more intrusive into their life than what they had hoped. One would say, well, I thought they needed a place to stay. Why would they be picky? Well, I don't think that's their attitude all the time. They simply weren't expecting it. And so it can turn into misunderstandings and uh, can cause the whole arrangement to crash and burn when it was intended to be for good on, bo on both sides. The other thing yeah, that no, we that experienced... Within our housing movement at large, um, uh -huh, uh -huh. we're wrestling well at large of women, you know, having mm -hmm. what what are their expectations and how do we create a, a structured environment, you know, to. I think the only other yeah. thing that I can think of that she's might be dealing with is the concept of loneliness. If the mm. host home is not going to be around, they simply are providing a place. And this is what we had to have most recently. Someone said, you know, I'm going to be sitting there all by myself. I don't have transportation, et cetera. And, and they were concerned about being lonely. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mary, can I add a little points of emphasis on what Mark put in there? Mark talked about the expectations, right, setting expectations early. And depending on the model that a host uh, home is following, they may have a long period of time to set expectations or it may be very short. But I think we're going to probably talk about the models in a little bit. But either way, getting alignment on those expectations is really important and really hard because of exactly what, what you said, Mark, that the need makes, mother's need makes this opportunity something that she has a huge interest in keeping available. And so getting honest communication that might make the organization or the host family say, you know, we don't think this is going to work, is a lot to ask, really. I mean, if we put ourselves in her situation, it's pretty tough to say, hey, tell us these things about yourself that may disqualify you from this place to live, which you really think that you need. And that doesn't mean those questions are bad. They're mm -hmm. essential because you're trying to provide something stable in a life of instability. Providing another unstable, destructive environment isn't going to help her in her situation. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make it easy for her to answer. Getting those yeah, expectations actually, is really tough. Yeah. It actually occurred to me, too, that a lot of the women that we serve are coming out of foster care. You know, they've had, which may have been very unhealthy mm -hmm. or very painful for them, you know, having to move into a stranger's home, having that be that authority be misused in some, some way is a is a fairly common experience for our moms. You know, so just the idea of having them move into a, a home environment, whatever their experience of family life, their experience of home, from a very fundamental, even primal experience, might not communicate safety, stability. You know, it might communicate something something else in their own thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so just something to be to be aware of as we're doing that that type of work. I don't know if this um, is the best place to interject it, but we've put together a list of various organizations have of, of sample agreements that lay out ideas 
so that host mm-hmm. homes and guests can take a look at what they might want to decide about expectations. I think those pieces are really valuable, and I, I see several from other, other organizations that are made available. Mary, where where can places find the, this white paper and all these example agreements? Mm-hmm. Is there like a website yeah. for that? There is a website. <laughs> uh, oh, it's on the national. It's on the coalition website at natlhousingcoalition.org. Natlhousingcoalition.org. So that's one easy place. It's on our Facebook group. Um, I'm happy to email it to you. So yeah, happy to make it available. Um, whatever way is most direct for you. So. Mm. Uh, and I forgot to mention at the beginning. Um, Mark is a former member of the uh, National Maternity Housing Coalition's Leadership Council. Mark, were you one of the founding members? I think that is that right. I was. I was one of the first. I, I, I think yeah. it's just because of how old I am, or something. Pleasure to have to be with the founder, uh, and I currently serve as the chair of that group. Just to bring us back, I also wanted to mention, Mark, your point on pickiness, for lack of a better term, there the what we would see maybe as pickiness, like you're in viewing a mother's resistance to uh, the idea of a host home. That's a point that I think deserves some extra emphasis because it leads to us, you know, feeling hurt or like the person is ungrateful or, you know, even if they go into it and then they don't like pieces of it that, you know, why are they being so picky? We use this word picky. And this is really an assumption of our part that comes from a lack of understanding of what's important really to the mother. And usually it, it's saying more about our assumption than it's saying about her situation. You know, you, you're doing this, right, in, in your 17 years. So I wondered if you could say some more about that, you know, particularly with setting these expectations for host homes. I think that having a conversation before you're involved in looking at the actual space maybe even before the two parties meet each other, but to list out, you know, as a host home, what are you looking for? Do you really want to give this young lady a bridge, a place to live? Do you want to provide uh, out of your own resources, so food and laundry detergent? And uh, are you? Uh, what about child care if there's a baby involved? Are these things where you are hoping to be a babysitter and all of these kind? And, and then for the young lady, what are you looking for? Same types of things. And uh, then once you get them together and you see there needs to be that, it works best. Let me say that that way. It works the best if you have a third party involvement. So there's somebody there mediating, brokering. Sounds a little crass, but that's uh, I see ourselves in in the work that we do. We sit down and say, look, I'm not going to be living there, but I know in order for this to be successful, we have to decide. You're going to have to decide whether or not guests of your guests are allowed to come in. Can she, can she bring a guest over to the house? Can she come in and out of the house after 9 or 10 p.m. at night? Uh, are you going to allow her to duplicate the key? I think the most answers to that would be no, but they, we need to know that all up front. Because once the key is duplicated, once she does laundry on the wrong day, um, once she uses food that we thought was supposed to be on this side of the fridge for her and this side of the fridge for us, or we realize she eats more food than we thought and is she going to kick 50 bucks? into the monthly budget for the family. These are all things that come up later, and then they become more difficult to talk about. Where if we've gone through them and done the very best we can to clear them all out, and in our particular case, we always recommend that this arrangement is set up for 90 days. At the end of 30 days, we're going to get back together and see how those expectations are doing. I'm just going to sit and listen to you guys talk, and... uh, We'll find out, you know, hey, are we really happy? Are things going to go well? And then at the end of 60 days, we can say whether 90 days uh, we think is going to go well and would we extend this beyond if needed. So there's this ongoing communication. 
I think in our experience, that has alleviated most of the crash and burn situations that fall mm. apart on either side of the equation, the young lady or the host home, because they've been talked about before we got into the heat of, oh my goodness, they must be doing that because they don't appreciate staying here. They must be doing that because they want to um, control me and they want me to be the way they want their daughter to be or something like that. Those can be alleviated ahead of time and, and doing them in advance is so much easier than in the heat, uh, misunderstandings and mistrust. Let me go ahead and take away us into more of the organizational perspective. We've kind of gone there naturally. One thing that we outlined in the paper is really this this idea that there's a spectrum of oversight. From an organizational perspective, you can choose to, to be more on the, the lower end of oversight where you're really just helping facilitate, similar to what Mark is describing. Mm-hmm. That's a- um, we also have programs that are on the higher end of oversight where perhaps they're even in a, in a formal relationship with things like foster care or, you know, and they're really handling it with this high degree of involvement and oversight and, you know, and real, uh, in day-to-day involvement in that situation. So there really is a range of how organizations can handle that. There's a few things maybe from an organizational perspective to consider. Stephen, I know you have some uh, legal background. Perhaps you can just touch on the idea of liability and what that. Shh, what don't that don't mention that, Mary. That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Never oh, tell secret, anybody that I'm a lawyer. Uh, yeah. I was so being I, vague. <laughs> yes, some secret legal background. And now, because I made a joke, I forgot your question. Can you refresh oh, it for me? What organizations need to think about in terms of liability? Yeah, so you can pretty straightforward to think through the potential problems here. So let's say you're an organization that has uh, has facilitated the connection to a host home, right? And then a month goes by and everything's fine. And then the mother or her infant has a slip and fall event, right? It's nobody's fault. It's, you know, nobody's malicious fault. But right, what if she decides to sue or could she go after the host family, right? How is their insurance, their homeowner's insurance for liability, that sort of thing, if that insurance carrier may then decide to say, hey, you know, why are you doing this sort of rental sort of thing? Not really a rental, but you got this different person living in your house. How did she get there? Oh, there's an organization involved. They could help share this liability because they helped to set this up. And those are questions that are going to vary somewhat based, you know, on your local and, and state law and regulation that have to be really carefully considered. A, a slip and fall is a relatively minor example of what could happen. You could certainly imagine, you know, the the worst case of a host family, you know, doing harm on purpose or a mother doing harm on purpose. And uh, all joking aside, that's that's why you go talk to attorneys ahead of time and make sure that all of your insurance is in order to cover this kind of situation. You have to talk in some detail to uh, your insurance brokers and examine your organizational insurance, the homeowner's insurance, to make sure that everybody's properly covered on these things. And the agreement between the mother and the host family, between the host family and the organization, between the organization and the mother, that all of those have been considered with these kind of liability questions in mind. It would be taking on a lot of risk to walk into it, you know, just sort of assuming that everything's going to go right because everything doesn't always go right. And you have to protect the family. The host's family is is going to be depending on you for that. Got to protect the rest of your ministry so you can keep serving people for a long time. You know, have a sustainability mindset. We're in this for the long haul. Let's protect ourselves from those those real catastrophic legal risks. I think because we've become uh, such a litigation-minded 
society, this probably points back to a little bit of the history that Mary talked about in the opening part of the call as to one of the reasons why we saw uh, such a decrease in the use of host homes. Yeah, that's definitely the case here. You know, the Gabriel Network's uh, experience of doing this, we had at one point, I think, 15 to 20 host families, you know, that were all operating you know, at different times. And uh, I think at, at one point there were almost 20 that were operating at the same time. And we haven't done any of that in, I think, 15 years or so, largely because of the ex- the experience, the negative experiences of the families, but also the cost of finding insurance that would cover this and making uh, host families comfortable with the potential legal risk, even if we thought the coverage was good. Those are different things. They are either going to be willing to take that risk on because insurance isn't a perfect coverage, even when you think it's pretty good. So that's another thing that a host family has to be willing to uh, accept some risk on, even if you're well prepared. Well, that probably struck fear in the, in the hearts of many executive directors. Yeah, I don't, um, don't mean to do that. But <laughs> there are ways to overcome the liability <laughs> issues, but it is definitely, I think, from the organizational perspective, it is probably one of the key things that needs to be deeply considered. Yeah, not to say that Another there are other caution. factors. <laughs> yes, yeah. Caution, not fear. Right? These are, that's, that's why you have good lawyers. They should be able to tell you what your options are and what the level of risk is. They shouldn't just be telling you, no, this is impossible. Another thing that we kind of from an organizational perspective is the need for support. And we talked that there's kind of a spectrum of that. Mark, you tend to or, um, operate more in kind of once the relationship is figured out, there's not a whole lot of ongoing support, but there is some organizations might choose to give a, a lot of continuing support to the mom, to the family, you know, kind of walking with that relationship on an ongoing basis. Could you speak a little bit to that dynamic? Sure. Partly off of what Stephen's been talking about, uh, a reminder that, that Ruth Harbour's way of approaching this has been the low organizational oversight in that uh, we introduce them to one another. But we don't just introduce them and walk away. We try and be completely engaged so that we can provide as much ongoing support possible. One of the things that we will do is, of course, that lead-up conversation about expectations. Uh, We're heavily involved then. And then what we do is we talk about the things where we can continue to be involved, even though we're going to introduce them and we don't have official oversight, we can't apply organizational rules to the guest in that host home, nor can we make the host home act a certain way. Or We try and make that really clear. This is between you guys. That's why it's important to have a written document where uh, those expectations are kind of clearly stated. And we say, yep, yep, that's our list. And, and we actually have, we encourage them to sign off on it. And then we revisit that list later. The continuing support that we describe then is that even though they may not be staying in our program under our roof as a maternity home here at Ruth Harbor, we're still going to provide them uh, with the encouragement, emotional support, some of the programming that we're going to do for young women in our program. We're going to invite those young women to be a part of and to participate in. They're going to have access to our counselor to be able to talk through and work through, whether it's a more casework type of, you know, so getting uh, connected with services in the community or whether it's more therapeutic and, and it's working through difficult times, issues, relationships, and those kinds of things. We're also going to be real practical in providing uh, you know, baby items and food, personal items, uh, vouchers for clothing at various places in our community. So we're going to continue to do that. And then we 
want, if, if both parties want, we're going to invite them to use us as that continuing mediator to discuss how things are going and to coach them both by coming and sitting down, usually at our, our place because it's neutral space for them, and uh, say, okay, how's it going, you know, and let them in our presence talk about maybe what's going well and maybe what isn't going well. And then sometimes we want to talk early on about the exit plan. How, how long is this going to go? Let's talk about that now and, and how we're going to finish this. What's it look like to say we can no longer provide or I no longer need the support. And then uh, last but not least, we commit to them that we will pray, that we will support them in prayer so that there may be something more going on than all of our best efforts, humanly speaking, that Mm -hmm. uh, God will provide chemistry and care and appreciation that will allow this to be successful. To jump in a little bit on those points, just want to, like, this is on the low end. Mm-hmm. that Mark is describing, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And just to, right, the counselor, the kind of institutional knowledge that you are bringing and then maintaining as a staff, finding the host families, training them, having all these conversations with the mothers and with the host families, right? Your your staff or your volunteers, I don't know who, who's doing that for you, Mark, but the that's a lot of things to maintain in addition to all of your regular yes. work, right? Yes. And then each, yes. each host family is the same. I don't mean this isn't your regular work. This is important, but it's, it's its own segment of programming or it's its own project, however you want to think about it. So I just, again, not, a, not being a wet blanket on this, but just saying to folks, if you're going to do this, if you have a call to do this, God's going to quickly do it. But go in with eyes open. We're the last people to say that safe, supportive, loving housing for women and children is not something we need more of, right? We, we definitely need more of it. We're literally in that business um, trying to open more homes. But it's costly is what you're saying. It's costly either from a financial standpoint in our group home uh, environment where it does, you know, staffing, facility, uh, utilities, all that. But it's costly on our time and our commitment to really see a host home be successful, either from a training and preparation standpoint or ongoing touches that you're giving. It's like having uh, another arm of of the programming that an organizational might do, even if it's like us where it's low and informal. Yes, and a lot of people go into this thinking, okay, look at all this need. What's the fastest, cheapest way that we can mm-hmm. provide this stuff, right? Because we've just got to do it right now. And that the instinct to want to help is definitely right, but you want to do it in a way that's, that's going to last, that's mm-hmm. going to be fruitful in the long term. And there is a lot of, of learned experience that it's actually a lot harder than it looks to set this up and, and do it right. It's a it's much more expensive than it appears to have all of this knowledge and experience at the disposal and support at the disposal of the host families. You know, take a wider view. If you're thinking about doing this host's home thing, make sure you're taking a wide enough view of the resources you'll need to bring to bear to make it work. I can really cheerlead that that comment, that statement, because no different than some of us are looking at uh, a poverty mentality and understanding how to help versus maybe damage by going in to help. A young lady may turn and start a relationship with God out of this particular host home hospitality. A young lady may get on her feet and be successful or may return to old friends, old lifestyle I mean, there's a lot at stake there, both for her and her child. The host home may be 
tiptoeing into hospitality and they have a heart to serve and then things go poorly and they turn into a one and done. I tried that. I got burnt. I will never do that again. And oh, uh, the damage that can come from here means that, that we need to have, I'll say, a sober approach to this and really do it as best we can. I know we, we can't control and we can't make it successful every time, but uh, you're right. It, it is, uh, I think, eyes open. Getting as much education and help and information as we can is really, really wise. Although we didn't hit on it directly, I feel like we've kind of covered the home vantage point, right, the things they need to think about, the training that's needed in order to be effective, the conversations about expectations, the awareness of vulnerable members of the household and dynamics going on mm-hmm. in the household and, you know, all those type of things. Do Is there anything else that we need to touch on directly? I want to make sure we have a little bit of time left to kind of hit on our key recommendations. Well, I think I, Anything from the vantage point of the home to consider? I think the only thing I can think of is there are a couple of, of additional circumstances beyond what the white paper shares where I think a home could be uh, a really important bridge, if you will. And that is uh, for homes or organizations that have a waiting list. They can be a bridge to, you know, a host home uh, might only be needed for two weeks until there's a bed available type thing. So there, there's some opportunity in this that is shorter or less of a commitment in some cases than a young lady moving in and saying, well, we don't know when she's going to get a job or when she'll finish her education, but someday she'll be out on her own. And a host home says, ooh, <laughs> you know, uh, am I doing an 18-year commitment here. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I think there are opportunities for the host home to um, engage in, in, I'll say, uh, helpful, but maybe even less of a commitment or more of a short term. Mark, do you have rules on like seasonality for a host's home? You know, I'm thinking of like a home with, with young kids or with um, boys, particularly if, that are a little older. Do you have rules about that? Uh, we do not have rules, but we have guidelines, and we won't introduce a young lady into that kind of a situation where, let's say, they're, uh, they have a high school uh, young man uh, who is in the home, or if uh, the young lady doesn't have her own private uh, bedroom, the facility as a whole is, is one thing to look at. So, yes, we do look at those things. Uh, we don't have a written document, but uh, we we go and visit the home, visit the individuals, and look at suitability. And most of them are self-regulating if they have a heart to do this. But for the ones who, who may not have realized, and we've had, as you say, seasons, uh, we had one host home that we were working with, and their son, who was in college, decided to stay home for a semester. Well, we changed that arrangement, and they were wise enough to say, hey, we see this coming. We assume that that's of concern to you. And we said, yes, I think we would be safer and wiser to find a new space, and we did that. I want to just touch on the paper itself makes kind of three distinct recommendations. So the first is kind of looking at the scenario where a family just happens to get connected to a pregnant woman um, and wants to help her, you know, this kind of impulse to, to help the situation. The white paper uh, makes the distinct recommendation to come underneath the umbrella of an organization with some, some experience there, uh, not just have families kind of doing it on their own. Can either of you speak to that dynamic or have anything to add to that recommendation? First thing you do is go to Proverbs and talk about the wisdom that comes in the uh, the counsel of many. I think that principle makes mm-hmm. sense uh, rather than the rugged individualism that we go out and I can do this on my own, make decisions. I'm an American. I, I, I'm free to do whatever I want. And I think just to submit ourselves to the wisdom and care of other people, uh, whether it's organizational structure and liability and insurance or not, those other things are also helpful. Stephen, I think you probably have more experience in this particular uh, question than I. 
I don't know about that, but um, I will always have things to say, so that's almost like experience. <laughs> I would second with what you said there, Mark. It's very likely that an organization that is currently doing housing will, like housing, especially providing maternity housing, there are just so many areas of experience that you learn by doing it over time. It's difficult to express it. Right, but the lived experience of just all the daily interactions, all the daily situations that happen in a home and how you handle them and building up that wisdom over time is so valuable to avoiding mistakes and setting expectations like um, Mark has talked about. I really encourage folks to seek out the wisdom. If you have a heart for this, right, God's gonna open mm-hmm. He's really calling you, He's gonna open the door to do this to do this in an excellent way. You know, don't lose your zeal, but make it effective and, and fruitful by seeking out that wisdom. Yeah, I think the uh, the goal in the white paper itself is to help facilitate the burden and passion that someone feels around this particular topic or this particular area of ministry and need. And uh, I, I think all of us would say our goal is not to scare people away or, or say, don't do this unless you're an expert. Uh, if Jesus said that to all of us about prayer, that would be bad. I mean, we don't leave prayer to the experts. Each of us have the ability to, to, to do that. And I think that anybody that has a, a calling and a desire to do this could be successful at it as long as uh, they go in, as you said, uh, eyes open. And the white paper, this this whole conversation is designed to equip and to make aware of the potholes and the crevices along the, the ditches we can get into to hopefully allow someone to be successful and uh, to really give um, good ministry to a young lady, not just a roof over her head. Yeah, the second recommendation that maybe kind of flows out of what you've been saying and that this idea of I get contacted by a fair number of startups who are looking at, at host homes and are at least on some level our recommendation is to think of the the host home program is something that has grown into maybe not the starting place but it's kind of an outgrowth of of the experience and knowledge just because of the dynamic of putting vulnerable women into situations with other human beings that the nature of that dynamic that might be um, something for an organization to grow into not necessarily the starting place for an organization any thoughts to offer on that I'll take the first shot at this one I think this is particularly the case now where maybe it wasn't the case 20, 25 years ago, but it's been the experience of housing leaders, you know, not just in maternity housing, but in all kinds of temporary or supportive housing, that the needs of those we're serving are continually increasing over time, both in scope and severity, right? There's more mental health needs in the women that we're serving now than there were 20 years ago. There's more trauma. There's a greater gap in the culture of of a home, if I can use that phrase, the expectations that they have for what home life looks like uh, is much more different from the host families in a lot of cases than it was 20 or 25 years ago. And this has been a big challenge for places that do it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you know, for staff who have degrees in pastoral counseling and social work and that kind of thing. This is this is an ongoing challenge for us um, at Gabriel Network and I'm sure for you at Ruth Harbor, Mark. I was talking to a, another housing director who's been in the work, shelters, different kinds of transitional housing and now maternity housing for over 40 years. And she's just saying how much the people have changed, how much they're the culture that has surrounded them has changed. And it really requires a lot of of experience in order to provide a good, safe, stable place 
for a, a structure for women to live in. Yeah. And for someone, uh, you mentioned, Mary, that someone is looking at this maybe uh, with new or fresh eyes. They look at all that Stephen's just described, and then they turn over here and say, okay, so if we need a facility and we have to organize and charter a board of of, uh, directors, uh, hire staff, hmm, my fundraising skills, and and they begin to see the mountain of responsibility that would come to them in order to open a home. Host homes can look pretty inviting immediately and and I think that's one of the reasons people would host would would want to jump in there first and then build toward the other can it be done that way I, yes i suppose uh, it would be the learning and the the uh, uphill climb in experience and um the hard hard knocks that come probably are going to be greater on that path and i think that's what you've tried to to suggest yeah a, and as, the, as, as for the host family paper. right you if you're going in that direction, maybe you are the host family. That I guess that's probably the case. But if you're if you're going to go straight into being a host home, you know, really put your time into uh, into talking with people like Mark and talking to Mary and getting more um, contacts with the people that are doing it now. The housing community is so generous with manuals and advice and experience. Um, Shared knowledge all are, around, isn't it? Yeah, people are universally um, ready to tell you about their experience and to, to help you get off, off the ground running. But I I would just re- recommend strongly to do it out of a, a different organizational housing model if that's possible. Yeah, no, thanks for speaking to that. The last point um, is really kind of this idea of the special circumstances. So we can see just from things like Airbnb or, you know, from an old-time program of exchange students into homes um, or we know programs like Safe Families where the, they're trying to use the church as an alternative to the foster care system. So this model of, of host homes continues to exist. It's not, mm-hmm. It hasn't gone anywhere. So we do know that it can be successful. And I guess what we've seen within our particular portion of that in maternity housing is that perhaps there are maybe unique circumstances or kind of there's unique dynamics where it is most successful. Mark, can you speak to maybe some of the, the unique dynamics that are at play where we've seen the most success with host homes? Unique as in, in our experience? Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned maybe as a short-term uh, mm-hmm. because she's on a waiting list or perhaps, you mm-hmm. know, with women that have shown really deep program engagement, right? They've they've really shown a deep commitment to the program already. Mm-hmm. And this is more of a phase two. You know, so there's kind of these, these circumstances where we've seen more success uh, with right. host homes than, than others. I think the the greatest success that we have had in those uh, I'll call the special circumstances is when a young lady has uh, moved through our program and has engaged in it fairly deeply, and um, we have a measure of confidence in what she's trying to accomplish. And so when we go out and say to a family, hey, would you be interested in being a host home for uh, our either graduating or uh, our departing uh, resident, we can say and recommend with a measure of confidence that uh, she is a a good referral, for lack of a better way to say this. Uh, no different than uh, renting uh, to a tenant. You know, is this someone who pays their bills, someone who I uh, can trust to not tear up the place, all those kinds of things. And uh, so you can recommend with confidence and a little more, I don't want to say a guarantee, but a little bit better chance that things will go well because you know this young lady and in most cases not all but in most you know the host home you've met them they may be constituents of the program or they may be people that are familiar to staff members volunteers of the organization so those circumstances 
uh, are excellent. And those come up for us when a young lady has moved through the program and accomplished the basic things that she can in a, a group home setting, but is not quite ready to be out on her own. A lot of times it relates to finances. Um, she's she's gotten things straightened around as, a, as maybe a new parent or maybe she's placed for adoption. And uh, in placing for adoption, um, she may not want to come back into a group home setting where she's faced with all these new moms parenting their little children. She has the the grief that she's still moving through of the separation of that child to the adoptive family. So that's a couple of situations where a host home just fits so nicely because the maternity home may be wonderful in its purpose, but it don't, that purpose no longer fits their circumstance, their situation. Um, we've had um, then on the other end young ladies that, that um, are wanting into our program and, as I mentioned earlier, a waiting list or uh, outside the parameters, and then we can recommend um, a host home to meet their needs for a, a particular length of time. Those are helpful, too. Yeah, no, thanks for those examples. Um, we're at time, but I want to give both of you a chance to maybe just any kind of key ideas or a summary of thought. So and, and really want want the opportunity to, to, to just kind of close out um, in that way. So I want to make the point that we do have several programs that are successfully doing host homes. So if in any way this has felt burdensome, you know, we do have programs that are um, successfully doing host homes. It is much less than it has historically been, um, and it's and it's with um, a degree of caution, um, perhaps that that wasn't there historically. So, in my mind, what that's I think the idea to convey that this is happening successfully, um, but mm-hmm. it is with caution. Anything to add or closing ideas from the two of you? I think we covered it in good depth here. I guess the last thing I would would want to note is to take advantage of. Looking at the white paper, looking at the example document, talk to Mary and, you know, get some more names and contacts of places that are doing this successfully. And then just the, the note of, you know, just because something's hard, that's, that's, no, that's no reason to think that it's not very doable, right? God calls us to hard, seemingly impossible or ridiculous things all the time. So, you know, this may be a challenge that some listeners here or some organizations or pregnancy centers or whoever may be called to do. And if that's the case, please reach out. We'd love to help you out. I can echo some of what Stephen's saying from from my vantage point is that if if God's calling and inviting and and placing a passion or burden on one's heart to do this kind of ministry, by all means, uh, don't let programming and litigation and all these other things uh, take away the joy of responding and fulfilling that commitment. And uh, it is exciting to know that some of the extraordinary things that happen in housing do come from and and work through really, really ordinary people. I mean, look how Jesus uh, decided to uh, give the uh, the spreading of the gospel to these 12 guys. And oh my goodness, I don't think they'd have been the people we'd have chosen <laughs> to do much of anything. But uh, through him, through the power given to us in the Holy Spirit in a relationship with God, these things are possible. And don't back away. Don't let all the information of the need for a knowledge growth or experience to come, don't let that take away from the opportunity that's there. Um, Just because uh, there's a lot of people that have had maybe some difficult circumstances, learn from those and step in and see what God will do. Gentlemen, thank you both for your time, your experiences here, your expertise, and your encouragement. I, I was really encouraged by those, the final remarks, you know. So I'm very grateful for that, and I'm sure those listening, especially those that are interested and intrigued by this idea, 
um, we'll, we'll take heart in that. So thank you so much for your time. Listeners, we'll see you on the next podcast. And until then, we'll sign it off. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.